Hi everyone and welcome to eTalmud 2.0. We're on the very bottom of Chagiga 26a Chavav Amad Aleph. We're at the second to last Mishnah on the page. And then of course we'll continue on to Chavav Amad Beis 26b. So the Mishnah tells us that Mishabar Haregel. So as we know, during the during the festivals itself, we suspend the ritual impurity that comes from an Amaharetz. Um, but of course, the moment that that the festival is over, um, <clears throat> retroactively, um, all of the all of the things that we suspended from becoming impure become impure. So So once the festival has passed, they they basically remove the vessels of the Besamekdash of the temple in order to purify the courtyard, meaning in order to purify those very vessels. Avar HaRegel, so um, because they had come in contact with Amharatsim, and the Tuma was suspended, but now that the festival is over, they need to purify them from the Tuma. Avar HaRegel Yom Shishi, now if the festival was finished on Thursday night, so it was going into a Friday, so Friday's the first day after the festival, then they would not remove the festivals on that day because of Shabbos um, or because out of respect for Shabbos because the Kohanim would be very busy preparing for Shabbos. They didn't, you know, if we would have um, made them take the vessels out on the Friday, they wouldn't have had the time to prepare for Shabbos. says They also would not remove the vessels on a Thursday. So if the festival is over on Wednesday, they also wouldn't remove the vessels on Thursday. Shein hakohanim penuyim, because on that day, the kohanim are not um, are not free either. So the Gemara is going to explain what this means. Tana. So we're going to the Gemara. Brisa touch. Shein hakohanim penuyim milahotzi vadeshin. Yehuda means that the kohanim are not free on the Thursday because there's so many ashes to take out. They have to take out the ashes. So you need one day to take out the ashes, and if you don't spend the Thursday taking out the ashes, you wouldn't be able to do it on Friday because you have to prepare for Shabbos. And that would mean then that the tons and tons of ashes that are there from over the festival because of all the sacrifices brought would not end up being able to be removed till Sunday. So instead what we say is, is take out the ashes on Thursday, prepare for Shabbos on Friday, and then after Shabbos, that's when you take the vessels out to purify them. So the next mission is going to talk about what, um, some more details when it comes to purifying the vessels. How do you remove the vessels for the purification of the courtyard? What they had to do is they had to immerse the vessels that were in the Beis HaMikdash in the temple over the festival. And throughout the festival, the Omrim Lahem Hizaru, throughout the festival, they would say to them, they would say to the Kohanim who are Am Ha'aratzim or Ame Ha'aretz, they would say, be careful. What would they say be careful about? So let's switch to 26. Be careful that you do not touch the shulchan. Be careful you do not touch the table, the um, six-shelf table that was in, or 12-shelf table that was in the base of Mekdash, that was in the Holy Temple. And the reason that that was the one thing that they were extra careful about is because that would not be able to be immersed after the festival because it wasn't allowed to be removed. And because of that, they would tell the Amharatsim, Amiharetz, that please make sure you do not touch the Shulchan during the festival. Kol Hakelim 
So all the vessels that were in the Holy Temple had a second and third substitute or replacement for them. So that if the first ones became impure, they would bring the second ones in their places until the first ones were pure again. So after the festival, all of the vessels in the base of Mikdash required tevila, required ritual immersion. Except for the golden altar and the copper altar. Because the Torah tells us <clears throat> that they are like earth, and earth does not acquire tumas. So what does this mean? Um, the Torah refers to the copper altar as an altar of earth. The golden altar is similar, is in the same vein. And if it's referred to as a cop- the altar of earth, um, we treat it as earth. It's something that does not then, and just like earth does not, um, is not susceptible to ritual impurity, so too are these altars not susceptible. And therefore, um, they do not need to be immersed after the festival. Divir Rabbi Elazar, those are the words of Rabbi Supin. Um, the reason that they do not need to be immersed after the festival is not because they are equated to earth, but because they are plated. And we'll try to understand more what that means because they are plated. Okay, so what we've said so far is that the one thing that we couldn't purify is the shulchan because it had to be stationary. And now what the Gemara is going to tell is bring us a brisa that says there was one other thing that we would tell the Ame Ha'aretz not to touch, be careful not to touch, because it would not be able to be purified after the festival. Tana, we learned in a brisa. So at the Gemara, um, in the Brysa, the Brysa says, They would say, make be careful not to touch the Shulchan, the table, and the menorah. Why the menorah? So our Mishnah, why doesn't it refer to the menorah as the, another thing that we tell the Am Ha'aretz not to touch? So he answers, When regarding the table, the Torah refers to it as a tamid, as something that needs to be continuous. You're not allowed to remove it, and therefore you wouldn't be able to purify it after the festival. Menorah looks if whereas for the menorah, it does not say the word tamid, or um, continuously. And therefore, there's nothing against taking it out of the base of Mikdash, purifying it after the festival, and then bringing it back in. <laughs> And what about the Brisa, though? The Brisa obviously disagrees. V'idach, and the other Tana, or the Brisa, explains, Since the verse says, and the menorah is opposite the Shulchan, the table, it's as if it wrote, it's as if the Torah wrote that it has to be there, that the menorah has to be there continuously. Because if it says that it has to be opposite the Shulchan, and the Shulchan is always there, and must always be there, then of course, if the menorah has to be opposite the Shulchan, that would mean that the menorah also has to always be there. And what about our Mishnah? How do they respond to that? V'idach and our Mishnah, the other Tana, understands hudasa. No, that verse is really just coming and teaches where exactly the menorah is placed. Not to tell us, though, that it has to be there constantly. Just telling us where is it placed, and it's placed opposite the Shulchan. So then we ask a question that... Um, that um, but let it let us derive that the shulchan should not be susceptible to tuma because it's a wooden utensil that's made to remain stationary. In any wood utensil that's made to remain stationary does not acquire tuma, is not susceptible to tuma. 
So, and why not? My taima, what's the reason that it's not susceptible to tuma? Because the verse that describes these different types of ritual impurity combines a wooden utensil with a sack. So, so the wooden utensil that does derive tuma, that is susceptible to tuma, has to be similar in character to a sack. It has to be similar to a sack. Just as a sack, its normal use is to carry um, both with objects in it and empty. So too, any vessel, any wooden vessel that's to become that's susceptible to tuma must be a vessel that's that's normal use is to be carried whether um, with stuff on it or not with stuff on it. However, um, a shulch, the shulch on the table, which is not allowed to be moved, that's by definition a utensil that's made to remain stationary, which means that it's not like a sack. And if it's not like a sack, then it is not susceptible to tuma. And if it's not susceptible to tuma, then our question is, is why do we have to be so careful about it? Why do we have to tell the Amar it's not to touch it during the festival? So the Gemara answers as follows. The Shulchan is also made to be carried both with stuff on it and with and empty. Like Rish Lakish said. The Amar Rish Lakish, because Rish Lakish said, The verse said, what does it mean when the verse says that you shall place the bread on the uncontaminated table? It says, On the uncontaminated table. This would seem to imply that the table, the shulchan, is able to become not um, is able to become tame impure. Vamai, and we ask why should it be able to become impure? Isn't it a wooden utensil made to remain stationary and shouldn't be able to acquire tuma? rather from the fact that the inference from the verse is is that it could become impure. This teaches us shemag bihin oso that they would lift up the table, umarimbo ole regalim lechem upon him, and they would display to the pilgrims, to those coming up to the base of mikdash, they would display to them the bread upon it. So they'd lift it up, so it was not to remain stationary. They'd lift it up and they'd use it to this and they'd display it to the people coming. and they would say, see how beloved you are before God. See luko kesiduro. Because the bread at, at its removal at the end of the week from the shulchan is as hot and fresh as it was at the time of it being put down um, at the uh, beginning of the week or at the end of last week. says, There was a great miracle when it came to the showbread. That it would remain just as fresh when you would take it off as you did when you placed it there in the first place. Shinemar, as the verse says, to place bread that is hot on the day that it is taken off. Meaning you're going to place bread that still remains hot and fresh on the day that it is taken off. That's what the verse seems to refer in Shmuel, in the Navi. So where are we now? So now what we're basically saying is, is that the reason that it could become impure is because it's not an article meant to stay stationary. Because they would pick it up to use it to display to the pilgrims um, the uh, the the always remaining fresh showbread. Okay, so now the Gemara is going to ask another question. So, what we've gone on to until now is that 
it's a wooden vessel. And then we said, is it in a wooden vessel that remains stationary, therefore it should never become tummy? And then we responded that, no, it's a wooden vessel that doesn't remain stationary. But now we're going to ask, why don't we just say it's ritually impure or can, is susceptible to tuma because it's plated and it's plated with metal. And when something's plated with metal, it takes on the characteristic of the metal itself, which of course is, can become tame ritually impure no matter what. But typically, why don't we say that it could become ritually impure because it's plated? It's not because we learned in a Mishnah. If you have a wooden table, or a wooden chair that becomes reduced, or that one, so reduced means that some of it got shipped away or something, or that one covers with marble. So it's, it's plated, you, you covered it with something. Um, but you remain on the original wood with room for placing goblets, then it can still become tummy. So even though, um, even though, the, it's plated with marble, which it itself doesn't become tummy. If there's room enough on the ta- on the wood part of it that has not been plated to put goblets, then the table can remain susceptible to tuma. Um, Rabbi Huda says that there actually has to be room on the wood, not just for placing the goblets, but also for placing pieces of meat or bread. But the basic idea is, is that if the marble plating covers so much of the table that there is no wooden surface large enough for goblets or for meat and bread, then the table becomes no longer is susceptible to tuma. We can we look at it as if it is marble. So so too with our shulchan, which is plated in gold, which is plated with metal. We should say that um, it takes on and it's completely plated with metal. It takes on the characteristic of metal, which is that it can become susceptible to tuma, no matter what. So why wouldn't we say? Why wouldn't that be our response? So we answer. So maybe you'll tell me that because the table in the base of Mekdash is constructed of that the um, because if you because you the shitim wood. Because, I'm sorry, the table in the Vesem Mikdash is actually made of shittim wood, which is very ba- valuable. Perhaps you're going to tell me that that does not become secondary to the gold covering and therefore remains um, as is as a wooden table. Um, we look at it still as a wooden table and therefore it has the characteristics of wood, which only become tame if it's not to remain stationary. So we say, Now that goes well according to Rish Lakish who says, that the rabbis did not teach that wood is subordinate to its plating except with regard to utensils made of axilgus wood that come from overseas that are not very valuable. That's when they become subordinate to the plating. But in the case of utensils made of mismim wood, which are of which are valuable, they do not become subordinate to their plating. Shaper, then according to Rishlakish, according to that opinion, all is well. Because the shulchan, the, sh- the table, and the base of Mikdash, meaning being that it's made of valuable shittim wood, it will not assume the identity of its plating. But according to Rabbi Yochanan, that says, who says that even if it's made out of very valuable mismim wood, it still becomes subordinate to their plating, then what is there to say? According to Rabbi Yochanan, the table should acquire tumah because 
even though it's made of valuable wood, that doesn't make a difference. It became subordinate to the metal, which can, is susceptible to tuma in all cases. Maybe you'll say that there's still a difference um, between the case in our Mishnah and the case in Kalim, where the mere fact that it's plated makes it um, makes it susceptible to tuma, makes it take on the character or the identity of the thing that is plating it. Maybe we can say Perhaps in Kalim. Um, in that Mishnah that talks about it assuming the identity of its plating, maybe that's where we're dealing with where the plating is anchored, meaning it's it's nailed in. Whereas here it's more of a it's not it's not anchored, it's not nailed in, it's just a cover. And maybe what we'd say is that when it's nailed in, then of course it assumes the that's very permanent. It assumes the identity of the plating. Where it's not nailed in, it doesn't assume the identity of the plating. So. In the in the table, the shulchan and the base of which was not nailed in, maybe there it does not assume the identity of the plating, and therefore we still look at it as wood. And therefore, if it was not, if it was made to remain stationary, it would not become tummy. But that can't be, because habayimin ereish Because didn't reish ask of Rabbi Yochanan um, that when it comes to a table becoming subordinate to its plating, he asks, is it betzipay omer or betzipay sheonomer? He asks, is it is that the case of Plating that is anchored, or even if the plating is not anchored. Furthermore, does it apply only when the plating covers the table's rim, or even when it does not cover its rim? But Rabbi Yochanan said very clearly, it doesn't make a difference if it's plating that is anchored or not. Or it doesn't make a difference whether it covers the table's rim or whether it does not. No matter what, the table assumes the identity of the plating and if that's the case why do we have to start getting into the fact that the shulchan is actually not stashed to stationary why don't we just say that it assumes the identity of the plating which is metal and therefore whether it is a stationary thing or whether it's not a stationary thing um, it would still be susceptible to tuma so what we answer is ella shiny shulchan rather the shulchan is different we're just going to read the last the first couple of lines on 27a on chav zayin omid aleph because the Torah very specifically calls the Shulchan wood, even though it has metal plating. As the verse says, The verse says, um, The verse says in Yechaskel, in the Navi, The altar was of wood, three amos high, and its length two amos, and its corners and its length and walls of wood. And he said to me, this is the table that is before Hashem. So we see very clearly that the table is being referred to as a wooden table. So even though it does have plating, and even though usually a wooden thing that is plated with metal will assume the identity of the metal, in this case, because the Torah refers to it as a wood, we see it as wood. And therefore, we have to come up with the response that it actually is not a stationary object, and not, it's not intended to be stationary, and that's why it is able to be susceptible to tumor. Okay, we'll stop here, and uh, next time we'll do Chavzayin Hamid Aleph. Have a great day.